can we talk about Naranja's tongue? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. It's creepy. Like, this episode and the next episode, there's like, I'm really up to here with the body horror. Like, I don't <laughs> need it. Yeah, Araki was it's going just through something. It's just so many, like, it's like a very long close-up of the blood gushing out, and I don't like it. Yeah, when he has the tongue on the knife, it's disgusting. But it is it is cool. Like, it's him, like, sort of swinging that switchblade in his hand again, and that is cool. Also, let's be honest. Who among us would not trade their normal tongue for a tongue with a journal ladybug print on it? I wouldn't. I would. I know you would. Welcome to JoJo's Bizarre Explainer, a podcast about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I'm Elizabeth Simmons. I'm Darius Kazemi. And I'm Courtney Stanton. And today we're here to talk to you about the actual Sistine Chapel of Titty Boop, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> we spoke too soon. Like, you'd think that in one season there would only be one that I think would qualify. For. Well, this is honestly, I think, an escalation. It's not a boop. It's like a it's caress. A, it's a stroke. Yeah. It's a very firm massage. That's true. You know, like you give to your friend. I don't think anyone's pretending that Squall and Tizzy no, are friends. No, no, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really proud of David Productions for for just being like, ah, okay, They're thank just you. Fucking running with it. Yeah, like I see, I see a door open, and we will step through that. Yeah, we are going to rip that door off its hinges. Yeah, Let's so just yeah, bring us all through. But I also like it's it's still weird and awkward to me because I'm just like I think it's like it's a weird like stress petting because it's not like they're like. Because it's in the middle like of worrying it, about Giorno and Narancia. I mean, look, what Squall and Tiziano are doing is they're living out the reality any of us would experience if we were in a relationship with a JoJo's character, which is no matter what you're doing, <laughs> at any given time, you might just need to stroke their titty. It's true. Yeah, it's like, that's fair. I will say it's, it honestly harkens back to that moment in the first Captain America movie where he comes out of the yeah. the trans machine. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's what it's, it is. I know. Uh <laughs> And apparently, apparently Haley Atwell, the actress, was not supposed to reflexively reach out and almost touch his peck, but she couldn't help it. And she just did it. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I think you're right. I think you'd just be like, well, I am within three feet of you and now my hand is doing this. Yeah, exactly. And the camera is just like, well, okay there. Yeah. Well, it's weird to see queer fan service, but it feels like queer fan, like in the same way where it's like. I can't see any faces. This has nothing to do with the plot, but I like it. Like, is this what it's like all the time? Is this how people feel when it's like weird upskirt shots? I mean, I feel like this is like, it's an escalation, but it's still on the continuum of what we've been used to from JoJo well. for a long time. Now, to be fair though, we haven't had the kind of like queer fan service that we have in part five, probably since part two. Yeah, I agree. I mean, except in the case of like Aya and Yukako. Well, well, yeah. But that's, yeah. God bless Aya. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, it is, but again, it's like, you're right. I think especially since part two of like men being queer yeah. with each other. With each other, yeah. Not just like generically <laughs> flamboyant. Yeah. That's the whole show. Starting out, this episode starts in a weird place. It starts with like a previously on JoJo's. But it's just like, it just kicks off. It doesn't like, there's no, oh, you thought we started it in the middle for, whatever, yeah. for some reason. Yeah, I, I did too, actually. I made him start it twice and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. That's not you. But- <laughs> In the midst of that one, it's like, oh, great. Remember, they, they got a thing, and there's a shark, and then Jorno got bit, and now here we are, and here's what's happening. Right after that, in the cold open, there's a bit where it does a, a sort of diagonal split screen with Jorno on the, the bottom right half and Narancha on the top left half, where he's like, oh, Jorno neck, shark, whatever. <laughs> uh, but my, I'm trying to get to the thing that I think is actually cool, and because I, I try to cherish all the moments where I think something involving Narancha is cool and bring them back to you. 
like little presents. <laughs> Leaving a dead mouse. Yes. I was just going to say like a cat with a dead mouse. Yeah. So the, the way that that sc- split screen wipes is that Narancha actually reaches past the split screen and like gestures down to summon little bomber. And his gesture down is what drives the split screen away. It's just a really cool little bit of like meta like screen composition stuff. And I was it's like- very part for it. Yeah, and very smart. And like, honestly, it's like a kind of detail that we don't have- throughout every episode anymore and so it's nice to see it when those still get preserved and managed to make it through the production process. I I will note that there are some parts of this there were definitely shots in this where I was just like whose face is that supposed to be real bad. Just like almost like someone crumpled them up. Yeah Yeah. Squallow's face in a few of his close-ups I'm just like oh I can feel (laughs) the Blu-ray being redone you know like it's just. (laughs) I can feel it manifest even as I watch. Like this shot is definitely getting on that list it's just and it's it's it sucks. But it's still a, a pretty decent episode. It redeems itself. I think it's a pretty boring episode. Yeah. And except, then all of a sudden it kicks off. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe this is the best episode yeah, I've up, ever seen. Up until the last scene, I was the whole time I was just like, I was checking my watch to yeah, be same. like, when is this over? Same. How long have I been watching same. this? I thought I had been watching for way longer and then it turned out it was not halfway done yet. Yeah. The score of this episode is, I'm assuming very intentionally reminiscent of the movie Jaws. 1977, directed by Steven Spielberg. With the repeated (laughs) string stabs. Yeah, Um, yeah, there's the the alternating... But it's it goes faster, but it's it's basically the Jaws theme. I just had like a thought, like imagine, so just because you said like I assume intentionally, which is like obvious, but like imagine if the amount of skepticism people applied to like are these characters queer was applied to like every other aspect of a thing. Look, like what I'm if I was need... just like, you can't prove that's intentional. Yeah. There's right. subconscious incorporation of Jaws music into this episode about sharks. And it's platonic. Yes, <laughs> the platonic I mean, shark. Yeah, exactly. Where it'd be like, well, I don't know. I'm going to need to see a citation to demonstrate that the Can music director on the phone, actually please? saw Jaws and intentionally chose to put that in there. Yes. Otherwise, yeah, I know. Anyway, just thinking about it, you know. But yeah, for basically. No also, <laughs> that's the thing is like with with most other media criticism anymore. I mean, like we're so far past death of the author. Like, yeah like decades and decades and decades past that, but there's some pastebin of it up there somewhere. And so some 13 year old trips on it every year. (laughs) But like that thing where you're just like, look, if it evokes in you, the person interacting with the piece of media, like a resonance, then it's there. It just is, you know? So it's like whether the author intended it or not, but like, but also a lot of the stuff is intended, but that's what I mean. It's like, (laughs) that's the thing is that it's like, you can also like, so say someone who made something is a total piece of shit. I don't know what you're talking about. And like, I think it's, I don't want to be too specific, but at the same time, JK Rowling being a piece of shit is so evergreen that like, I don't think it's true. No matter when this airs, it's not going to, and like you could be listening to this five years in the future, or 20 years in the past. And honestly, <laughs> it would still apply. So, but no, 20 like, years in the, all right, to be fair, 20 years in the past, we didn't know yet. Yeah. Let's say 10 years in the past, but yeah. So like, I, I mean, one can make an argument that in the text, uh, well, sure. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, but that's the thing is like, <laughs> that can still inform your engagement with a work. And that like, that's also valid. You don't have to be like, well, but I don't care. Yeah. Like I choose, you have to crowbar it apart. No, you don't because you're a person and like, that's not how people work. So you can be like, no, like this like anti-Semitic turfy piece of shit <laughs> is ruining my enjoyment of her anti-Semitic works. You know, this like is why you just have to 
only consume Harry Draco fandom, which has been operating <laughs> autonomously for two decades. <laughs> but like, but so that's the thing is that like you can like something and like gather information about it, and that is going to influence how much or little you like it yeah. and how much or little you connect with it. Which is why I understand people are like, I want to know if it's canonically supposed, you know. Yes. But, but the thing is, is that it's like if it's there for you, it's it's you know. It's but also there. the definition of canonical gets tinier and wow. tinier every year. Yes. So Narancha says that he, like everyone in this episode suddenly becomes very concerned about Aerosmith's ability to track gunshot residue. <laughs> Rocky was really fucking on one. <laughs> I don't, like literally it's the residue it's from un- the gunshots. And I'm like, ex- since when? It's unsafe for children's toys to interact this much with gunshot residue. I just don't, I'm like, when was that? ever in the scope like it's like carbon dioxide sure i get it gsr i assume it's called gsr in like actual like csi always calls it gsr <laughs> yeah so it must be true it yeah. must be, that's obvious i mean we learned that from the next episode that anything you see on tv is true that's yeah fair so yeah but like i don't i don't get it and i want to understand but also i don't care enough like it's it's mostly just i'm like since when does aerosmith got the like scope creep right. of powers Right. Speaking of, I was just thinking about reminiscing back to that first Aerosmith fight and how Aerosmith can drop bombs on people, but not anymore. Has not done it since that first fight. No, Iraqi doesn't read his back issues. Yeah. (laughs) Relatable. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I can't listen to old, like people think I marathoned your whole podcast and I'm like, from starting from when? Because I I can't go back more than like a year. I can't. Sorry. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, apparently Aerosmith has a new power. Sure. But I I don't think you have to keep track of it because I don't think he'll ever use it again. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember. No, he definitely doesn't track gunshot residue ever again. Frankly, I don't think he ever uses Aerosmith again. <laughs> because if he did, surely I would remember it. Just um, kidding, I would not. I do think it's cool that like he he realizes he has a prop plane, and so the propeller blade makes for a pretty sick like weapon. Yeah, I like yeah. that move. If you can't also I think this is the last time anyone is ever like Mm, I'm not supposed to fire a gun in here, so I won't. <laughs> like from going, going, like I, I do give this episode credit that, like, it feels very part five that they end up in a room where it will be absolutely lethal if anyone fires a gun, and so of course they fire the gun. Like part four, like there was a whole episode where it was like, oh, it's dangerous in here. Don't fire a gun. Kitchen's dangerous. <laughs> Don't no fire, no open flame. And uh, no, not. And it's like, whew, we escaped that. And it's like, no, we didn't. I mean, to be fair, it's only because Narancho had talking head on his mouth and was like, shoot, shoot. But T- is it? I know. Mister would have shot it. Anyway. Yeah, I, know. Like, <laughs> I don't think Mister listens to Narancho enough to, to take orders. Yeah, although he did give Narancho shit, and he was like, well, "Why did you tell me to shoot?" Well, I think he also would have done that anyway too. Yeah, I do appreciate that the other power that apparently Aerosmith now has is just straight up gaydar. <laughs> which Because they show that shot of the people in the square and they all look very straight. It didn't occur to me, but like once they mentioned it to me earlier, I was like, well, yes, that I'm is just exactly what it is. Running around trying to find the panicking homosexual. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank God I have gaydar. Like it's just that's all it is. Yep. It's, it almost feels like Aerosmith's very existence was created just for the punchline that it is gaydar. Yes. Yeah. I was also bewildered by the idea that the only two people who would react to seeing someone with a tongue on a knife it <laughs> would be 
these two guys. I mean, to be fair, we're all queer, so the fact that it freaks us out doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's true. We wouldn't know if it didn't. I'm going to need a cishet to tell me. Yeah, can a cishet write in? Just kidding. (laughs) Please don't write in. Um, No, but I just like, I'm like, I don't don't know. But yeah, I, I think it's a logical fallacy to assert that only the person who's responsible for the weird tongue thing would react. It's like an Althusserian interpolation. <laughs> <laughs> the person who is responsible for the decapitated tongue is hailed by it <laughs> and thereby Jesus. becoming the person. I'm going to need you to drop out of grad school yeah, immediately. <laughs> our, our top tier Patreon goal is Elis drops out of grad school. That's to put an end to this shit. Jesus. I don't think I've ever made both of you so speechless at once. <laughs> I was just like, I hate every word that's coming out of her mouth. I'm right though. I, I don't. I, whether or not you're right doesn't mean, like, does not influence whether or not I like it. <laughs> okay, but the actual point of this episode, like, the reason yeah. we're here. Yeah, the reason we came in today. Yeah, is because we have, like, the platonic ideal of a gay murder revenge. Yes. Plotline. And wait, suicide, murder, revenge. Yes. Because he jumped yeah. in front. Yes. Thereby sealing its fate as platonic ideal. Yes. And that's the only platonic thing about it. Uh, oh. Hey. So Tiziano jumps in front of the bullets intended for Squallow and dies in his arms. Also showing us why Tsuda was cast for this role. <laughs> <laughs> he is so good at dying in his lover's arms. And, and jumping in front of bullets. Yeah. And and just like Pesci and Prosciutto before them, now that his lover's dead. But this is like, it's like so much more because like they were so clearly into each other. Yeah. And then he like is holding him while he dies. Yeah. And so now he's just like, I don't care about the boss's orders. Right. I, I was supposed to kill you for these reasons, but now I'm going to fucking murder you and all your friends. And like, oh, it's so good. Also like Tiziano being like, now you have liquid yes like also it's a really nice parallel with Giorno and Mista oh yeah that pose Giorno holding yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. it's another Pieta yeah. yeah it's real gay I don't know it's really you, good it's great do you think it's made better or worse or not changed at all by the fact that it's so short like he dies like 60 seconds after I mean it's he... fucking bullshit I don't know what to tell you <sighs> I mean look there's two schools of thought on the subject and I have both of them in my mind one is that whenever one gay lover dies tragically the other one should die soon after so that they can be together Together right in the afterlife yeah. and then the other school of thought is that you really want to see that l- surviving half suffer and like try and enact revenge yeah and yeah. because that suffering validates the gay feelings right to me the viewer so i guess what i'm saying is it rules but i want there to be a tragic gay death in every episode and it okay. can be a different variety each time okay yeah well and i feel like in a different universe this would have been like the turn that creates the the super villain for the season if there was only one gay duo that's true like this was the however there are 50 yes so that's the thing so it's like we, it's like look the next one's showing up in 15 minutes so if you could move it along you know <laughs> that's one of the reasons why this season is so great is because there are so many like i made a joke about it but there really are so many tragic gay deaths and non-tragic gay couplings mm-hmm. that like they just really get to play with the formula in a way that I find personally to be validating because it isn't just like, oh, there's a gay character. Yeah. Anyway, they're dead now. Bye. Yeah, there's so many good ones coming up too. I'm so happy about it. I'm a little frustrated by the end of the episode just because the episode very quickly turns into like trying to convince me that Narancha is cool. And he's he's not cool (sighs) even on a good day. That shot with (laughs) Narancha sort of doing some kind of 
gangster walk or something, <laughs> like with the shadow over his face, is like the silliest thing in the world and not remotely cool. But Darius, what if you put a flapping shark tail out of his neck? That part was cool. <laughs> that was not cool at so all. That was that was cool. That was, that was cool. I've dumb as hell. It's so dumb. But I was um Valare Via, Courtney. Go Valare fuck via. Fuck yourself, Darius. <laughs> it's a stupid catchphrase. Oh, Valare Via. Yeah, I've, I've literally managed to not <laughs> internalize that. Information. I hate it so much, and it's like, and then he, they do the stupid like pose again. And I'm just well, like, his, I hate. I, I like everything how in this about one, it. like his pose, he does the pose like while he's weak, so nothing's happening. He's just like holding his arms out, and it looks so fucking dumb. Like that's, it's like just it, he was cool earlier in the episode. He was doing cool things, and it wasn't like here come literally. It's like literally like. <laughs> baby food but with a literal airplane like i hate it here comes the airplane yeah open wide i know i'm like i don't i it makes me uncomfortable that would be good merch though is a would be a a, a baby spoon with little bomber on it yeah but yeah. how would you really tell that it doesn't it's not even that distinctive of a design that's exactly true. that's Just why it would be airplane. great find an airplane spoon and call it little it. bomber yeah. jojo's bizarre explainer is recorded in portland or or oregon you can follow us on Twitter at ExplainJojo or find us on the web at ExplainJojo.com. We love to hear from our listeners, so please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us the kind of review that Elizabeth would leave for Tiziano dying in Squalo's arms. 